to continue where we are with the book of Revelation. Uh, the book of Revelation started by St. John having a vision on earth and the Lord appearing to him. And after that vision, he just talked to him about the seven churches. And we said that these churches can be, are the actual seven churches that were in uh, Asia Minor, where Turkey is today, and described their situation. Or it can be our spiritual situation. We said that some of the fathers see this as different times of history where the church went through uh, or going through. The second vision and started at chapter 4 and lasted until the end of, of the book in which St. John was called to go up to heaven and see that vision. And in chapter 5 we're, we see the sealed book and that sealed book comes back in again in chapter 20 and 21 and most of the fathers believe that the sealed book either the names of those people who are you know uh, the book of life actually I'm sorry the sealed book uh, can be either the New Testament the Old Testament can be uh, the book of life where the names of those who are baptized and accepted you know the Lord Jesus as their Savior and received the baptism and received the the Holy Spirit uh, their names is written in the book of life and we're going to see the book of life later on in uh, I said chapter 20 and 21. Uh, or it can be God's judgments on the on the word and its seal. It had seven seals on it and no one can open that seal except the lamb or the lion coming out of uh, the tribe of Judah. After that we saw uh, the seven seals when the Lord opening each seal separately. We saw like, you know, the white horseman and then the red horseman and the black horseman and the pale horseman which we said that this is the Lord, the first one is the Lord Jesus protecting his church and winning throughout history in his church. And then the three horsemen were the devil and his attempts to destroy the church, either via wars, uh, famines, and uh, basic spiritual famines and heresies, or uh, the Antichrist, or denying the divinity of Christ, which is also a uh, different kind of famine. And then we saw the 144,000, and we said that this is symbolic number. 12 represents God's people in the Old Testament, because 12 is 3 times 4. And we're going to see that number again, repeated again, in the heavenly Jerusalem. So, number 12, in general, is 3 times 4. 3 is the Trinity, and 4 is the four directions of the world, north, south, east, west. So, 12 is either those people who believe in the Trinity, believe in God or God working in his people so that becomes 12 that's why we find for example 12 tribes of Israel in the Old Testament we find in the New Testament God chose 12 disciples to serve him our churches we build the churches you know part of the tradition of the church you have 12 columns in the church representing the 12 disciples as well and so number 12 represents God's people 144 12 in the Old Testament times 12 in the New Testament you get 144 number 1000 it's number of angels we say the angels are thousands times thousands 10,000 times 10,000 so number 1000 represents the heavenly it also represents a great multitude so if you say oh yeah 1000 people it's, it's a lot of people so 144,000 can be represents that it's God's people in the Old Testament and the New Testament and there are so many. And we saw that also in chapter 7 it said that he saw people that no one can count. 
And that's why we said it's really 144,000 symbolic number. After that came warning to people and trumpets. And these trumpets includes punishments and includes warning. And these trumpets had a third of the people being affected. And then after the trumpets um, came the story about the two witnesses that the church believes either Elijah and Enoch or uh, two prophets of the same spirit and the same strength they're going to come in and witness to, to God at the most difficult time where the Antichrist is ruling on earth and the Antichrist will not going to be able to do anything to them until at the end until their mission has been completed and God allows him to capture them and execute them and then we're going to see the miraculous thing of them after the you know they're dead for like three days life comes into them again and they rise up to heaven in front of everyone so everyone will be scared of what's going to happen after that in chapter 12 we saw a vision of the woman and her son and we said that this is the church uh, and Christ coming uh, from the church of the Old Testament and we also saw the the stars under the the feet of the you know the woman, which we said these are the saints who gave up their life for uh, God, and we also saw started seeing the dragon, the devil himself coming in and trying to chase and kill the woman and kill you know destroy her son, which is the Lord Jesus. But then the Lord takes care of the woman and gives her the wings of an eagle and sends her to the wilderness where he's going to take care of her for three and a half periods or years. In chapter 13, the first introduction of the Antichrist and the false prophet. And we saw in chapter 14 and 15, the lamb taking care of his people. And as we said, after every difficult vision, like the Antichrist and, you know, the power the Antichrist is going to have on people and those who don't have this, you know, the seal of the Antichrist who are not going to be able to buy and sell. Very troubling. Immediately afterwards, we see a comforting vision that Christ is among his people. He takes care of them. He knows what's going on and he is in the midst of his people. So don't worry. Christ is here and he is with us. So even if the devil is strong, even if the devil is waging tremendous war outside God is within his people and he's taking care of them and this is the constant theme in the book of Revelation what's going to happen the strong events are going to happen followed by comforting visions and the assurance that God is with us so no matter what happens God is with us and also uh, after that we saw the seven vials where God's anger is poured on the earth at the you know part of the last punish, last punishment. And in chapter twenty one we're gonna see that one of those angels who poured one of those vials is coming in to send John and explaining to him and showing him heaven. We're gonna see that the angels who are executing God's commandment are not against us. They don't hate us, they don't hate people, they don't hate the sinners, but they are executing God's commandment. Chapter 17 and 18, we saw the judgment of Babylon, the destruction of you know the world as it is, the removal of evil. In chapter 19, we saw the wedding of the Lamb, 
and we said that this is the same parable as the Lord told about the heaven that it's like a, a banquet and this, you know and, and the father of the you know groom invited people to the banquet didn't come so he sent you know his servants to get people from you know or, or from the streets and you know the expl- explanation of the banquet and a lot of details in chapter 19 and then chapter 20 we talked about the final judgment and tying the devil to, for a thousand years and we talked about the millennium reign and we explained that the millennium reign is a very very dangerous heresy and another part of the danger of this heresy is that if people are waiting for a millennium reign and Christ ruling on earth and the antichrist comes and says hey I'm Christ I'm back, I'm here to rule a thousand years all those Christians are going to follow him and they're going to be led astray and now we're going to talk about the heavenly Jerusalem so why don't we read chapter 21 uh, quickly and then go and explain it uh, verse by verse who volunteers read Okay. You know, I guess I have no choice. Okay. Thanks for volunteering. (laughs) And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea no longer is. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they will be and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there will be no more death, nor mourning, nor crying out, nor will there be any more pain, for the first things passed away. And he sitting on the throne said, Behold, I make all these things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, It is done, I am the Alpha and Omega, the the beginning and the end. To him who thirsts I will give of the fountain of water of life freely. He who overcomes will inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But the fearful and the unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars will have their part in the lake burning with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. And one of the seven angels who had the seven vials full of the seven... Okay, we can, we can stop here and then, you know, come back and read this second part because these are two separate sections. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth have passed away. There are two opinions about this particular verse. Uh, the first opinion is that the current earth and current heaven are going to totally disappear. If we go to the... Letter of St. Peter, second letter of Peter, chapter 3, verse 10. Okay. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heaven will pass away with a rushing noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat, and the earth and the works in it will be burned up. Then all these things being about to be dissolved, what sort ought you to be in holy behavior and godliness, 
looking for and rushing the coming day of the Lord uh, of God, an account of which the heavens being on fire will melt away and the elements will melt, burning with heat. So, what St. Peter is telling us is that the heaven and the earth are going to melt, everything is going to disappear, and now we're going to have a new heaven, new earth. Where is the new heaven, new earth is going to be? We don't know. I'm sure all of you know, you know, the Bible talks to us about three heavens. The first one is the heaven of the birds. Right? This is the, the atmosphere around the earth where the birds fly and the planes fly and all that. And then there is the heaven of the stars. And then, then there is the third heaven, which is what St. Paul was taken to, which is, again, the third heaven and the heaven of heavens. You know, some people say that the third heaven is what God's throne is. Some people say that it's the heaven of heavens. There's a fourth heaven, which is the heaven of heavens where the throne of God is. So, no, whether the third or the fourth, again, we don't know what's going to happen. Right? Everything will be, will, you know, going away. That's fine. So, which one's going to melt? That's a very good question. Is it the first or the second? We don't know. Probably the first, the, the earth and the solar system are going to disappear. Probably. Uh, everything. That's one opinion. All right? The second opinion uh, goes to Romans chapter 8. Verse 18. What St. Paul is telling us is, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the coming glory to be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation waits for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creation was not willingly subjected to vanity, but because of him who subjected it on hope, on hope that the creation itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. What, what happens is some fathers take this particular verse and say, well, God created the, the earth the, you know, and the heavens in a wonderful way. The earth was not as harsh as this. There was no this volatility in temperature. There was no earthquakes. There was no... Uh, volcanoes, there were no uh, storms, none of these things were there, the earth was a wonderful wonderful place, but because of the curse that came to earth, we start seeing all these things, the animals were not violent, there were no viruses and microbes that coming in and attacking and destroying people and making them sick none of this was there, so the earth, the, the creation as a creation is under, you know, still cursed today, because of the sin that we have committed as men now, in the sec- you know, there is a hope that when everything is uh, redeemed again in the second coming, they will be also renewed and have a new image, a new, they're going to be a new earth, a new uh, heaven. Can both of these coincide together? Can the current earth and the current, you know, nature disappear and the new earth and new nature happens? Yes. The problem is, when if we stick to the second opinion that actual, the actual creation is going to be renewed and life is going to, on earth is going to become happy again, we end up being dragged to the belief in the millennium reign again. 
if the earth is great and wonderful and you know all the evil is going to disappear from the earth and nature is going to come back to be wonderful again so are we going to live here on earth is this our heaven are we going to be living here we're going to see that in Revela- you know in chapter 21 the lord is talking to us about a new jerusalem coming out from heaven completely different where it's being in the presence of god so really whether you know nature is going to be renewed or not whether the earth is going to disappear or not we really don't care as my you know I, i'm uh, i'd like to side with the opinion that we really don't care about what's going to happen to this earth we're not from here we're not going to stay here so whether it becomes you know renewed or disappears we're not we're not going to stay here we're going to we're going to be in the heavenly jerusalem god's willing okay so let's see what heavenly jerusalem is going to look like before we go there one thing and the sea no longer the earth is going to be there the new earth is going to be there new heaven is going to be there but no sea anybody tell me why why there will be no sea no turbulence. The sea represents saltiness, represents the turbulence life. You know, uh, if you live in the sea, it's going to be up and down. We talked about that, that, you know, from throughout the book of Revelation. The sea represents the turbulent world. So, the, after the second coming, there will be no turbulence. There will be no suffering, as we're going to see later on. No evil, no suffering. So, there's no need for the sea. Everything is going to be calm and, you know, quiet and, and wonderful. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned to her husband. Okay. The father is saying that St. John really didn't know what he, what he was seeing. He was so amazed by what he saw. Uh... And he's saying, I, John, this is to emphasize that this is a true witness. He is really seeing what he's talking about. And then he's going to describe the city coming out of, you know, coming down from heaven. And the fathers are saying that he's not really, he doesn't really understand what he's seeing. It's like a child going in, you know, child from the countryside who never saw an airplane going into the airport and seeing all these huge airplanes. So what? how he's going to describe them? Maybe his language only knows birds, so he's only going to say, oh, big, huge birds, metallic birds sitting on the airplane, on the, on the, on the ground, and they're flying. People are getting inside the, the animal, in the, the birdies, and flying. So maybe that's how St. John was describing the heavenly, using our earthly words. Now, this new Jerusalem coming down from God... Um, the old Jerusalem was God's house with His people. It was the time, is the place where God met His people. There was the temple in the old Jerusalem, and this temple was God's presence with His people. People came to meet with God. So the new Jerusalem is still where God is going to meet His people. Is going to be with His people. Now, can somebody tell me who is or what is the new Jerusalem? Where does God meet His people now? Now. Church. Church. The church is in New Jerusalem. So
So we're going to see that this description is a description of the church, actually. Our church right here. Uh, yes. Can we? Are we living in heaven? What is heaven? All right. Let's see what heaven is. Um, let's read here. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. So what is heaven? God, where God dwells, right? where God lives. Now, what, what does God live here? Does he live here on earth? Does he live inside you? Yeah. Right. So can you be heaven? Yes. Can you start living heaven from here on earth? Or do you have to wait until we die, until the second coming? Why do you think all these saints gave up their lives and gave up all the earthly pleasure and dedicated their life to be with God? Isn't it because they started tasting what heaven is like? They started tasting God's presence in their life and they realized that all the worldly enjoyment is useless and it's not going to get them what they you know, want and it's going to hurt them. Heaven can start... If we only wait to try to taste heaven at the second coming... We're doing something wrong and we're wasting our time. We're being cheated. Let's, let's put it this way. We're being cheated. We're being tricked. Why? Because we're told, fast, abstain from this, abstain from that. You have to get up and pray. You have to do this. You have to come to church every Sunday. You have to study, you know, the Bible. You have to read the Bible. You have to do this. But, so, why would I do all this if I'm not tasting God's presence in my life? I can start tasting, you know, God's presence and heaven here on earth and not wait until I die and go to heaven we have to start tasting that from here on earth otherwise we are we're missing we're, we're missing out on a lot of things how do you do that by doing everything I said right now <laughs> by praying and it's not going to come that easy let me tell you why if if as if as a, as a father, for example, I have I have three kids. If I as a father, first time my kid, you know, come and tell me, Daddy, I want a car. Here's the keys. Give her a Ferrari, for example. I don't have, but you know, let's say I give her a Ferrari. Goes out. What she's gonna do with the car? Does the car have any value for it? Did she work for the car? If she crashes the car next day, is the big D for her? If she asked me for, you know, let's, you know, maybe that's a wild example. But she, she asked me for a cell phone. I gave her a cell phone today. She loses it tomorrow. I get another cell phone day after. What she's going to do with the second cell phone? Lose it. It's not of value to her. Sometimes God waits on us to give us a taste of heaven or taste of this. So we really struggle for multiple reasons. So we appreciate what we're getting. If we really know that there's something wonderful out there and we really struggle for it, once we get it, we're not going to let it go. Remember the parable that God said that you know uh, the kingdom of heaven is like a precious stone 
a person went and sold everything he has to get that stone. So I can't have heaven and I have this and I have pleasure here and I have you know watch TV and you know movies and songs and you know all these things. My heart doesn't fit all these things together. So I have to clean up my heart and have only one thing that can fit in it. That can this one one reason which is appreciate what I'm going to get. The second reason is, you know, cleaning the heart. Light and darkness don't, you know, mix together. So it takes me a while to clean my darkness. The darkness is inside me. If God opened my eyes to all the, the weakness in me, what's, what's going to happen? I'm going to give up. Now God opens my eyes to some of my weakness. So I work on it and clean it. And then He... Like, you know, intensify the light a little bit more. I see more dirt in my life. I start cleaning it up. And to intensify the lights more, I see more dirt. I keep cleaning it up until I clean up my heart through the work of the Holy Spirit in me. If He shines the strong light all at once, I'm going to see everything dirty. Guess what's going to happen? I give up. I said, no way. I cannot clean all this mess, all of, you know, all of it to become pure and white. I'll give up. So gradually, God allows us to understand our weaknesses and expose us to our weaknesses little bit by little bit until we clean internally. So that can be another reason why we're not tasting, you know, heaven. So there has to be a struggle. There has to be, yes, I want that. Right? Like, you know, what Jacob did with God when he met him, he struggled with him until he got the, the blessings. So we have to be struggling for that. At the same time, God is exposing to us our weaknesses and cleaning that up and going to that journey. But trust me, I mean, people will not live in the desert and pure isolation for 70 years because they like it. There has to be something else that they're tasting and satisfying for them to be able to do that. The issue is we, did not, we have not tasted that yet. So... We're not willing to give up because we're not, we're not, we don't want to taste it. To us, it's, you know, catch, you know, to, do I give up first to taste or do I taste first to give up? And what God wants us to do is to give up first so we can taste. But we don't want to do that. We want to taste first what God is like before we give up our weakness and our sins. So... Um, coming down from God. So the, the the source of this new Jerusalem is God. It's coming out of heaven. Prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Of course we all know how bride makes herself beautiful for her husband on the wedding day. Right? And it's you and I are the bride of the Lord. And you know our jewelry is not gold and it's not, you know, makeup and perfumes and all that. Our jewelry is our virtues, our love for Christ. That how This is how we're going to adorn ourselves for our bride, our groom. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with the men, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. So no longer the struggle 
of do I have two masters or not? Am I serving God and serving the world? Am I serving God and serving manna? Or, or what? There will be only one God, there will be only one purpose forever in heaven, which is being with God. And look at the enjoyment that people will have. And this is, this is why we argue with people of the millennium reign. When God is describing heaven, He's not describing material things. The New Jerusalem, He's not going to describe anything you know, material. We're going to see that all the descriptions really is not materialistic. It's, it's, it's heavenly. Because the enjoyment is being with God. And again, we need to start teaching ourselves and we need to start getting used to that enjoyment. Otherwise, heaven is going to be boring. Of course it's not, but you know, if we're not going to be able to taste that here, why will we go there? And God will wipe away all the tears from their eyes. Now, some people see this and they say, well, the more tears I have here on earth, the more God is going to spend time with me wiping my tears. And they do accept, you know, persecution they do accept their sufferings, they do accept the cross because they know it's going to come to an end and they know there are going to be rewards for it. And there will be no more death. Why there will be no more death? What caused death to start with? Sin. So there will be no more sin. No more, you know, evil thought, no more darkness. There will be no night. Right? That's what we're going to see now. No mourning, nor crying out, nor there will be any more pain. So any of the pain we go through here on earth, whether it's physical, whether it's emotional, whether it's mental, because of Christ, that pain, even if it stays with us here, all we live, that pain is going to go away. The only one person who's going to remain with his wounds is Christ. Everybody else is not going to have any more of these things that affect us here on earth. Whether it's physical or emotional or mental or anything else. For the first things have passed away. And he sitting on the throne said, Behold, I will make things new. Do you guys remember... In the <coughs> in the in the movie, the the Passion of Christ, when uh, Christ was holding the cross and walking, and Saint Mary came and saw him and told her, "Behold, I will make things new." Uh, I, I still remember that scene very well. It's it's so so powerful because if you really understand the cross and the suffering that Christ went through, this is the purpose of everything that He has done. It's to make everything new, to make you and I new, so we can be with Him in heaven and enjoy His presence. That's why He accepted to become a man. That's why He accepted to die on the cross. That's why He accepted all the humiliation that you and I deserved instead of, you know, and He took that instead of us and died on the cross to make everything new. We are the things that needs to, you know, that are made new. And we are made new when? When you and I became new. Baptism and Mayroon received the Holy Spirit. 
And when we sin, when after you know baptism, it's not just you know we made we made new ones. Every time we sin and we confess, we are again renewed again and became become whole again. So this statement, think about it. Behold, I will make things new. Because again, no more sin, no more suffering, no more pain, no more struggle. And why do you think the church allows us 50 days of no fasting after the resurrection, which is going to end next Sunday? Haram. <laughs> Back to Fulu Tamay. So why do you think the church allows us of the period of no fasting for 50 days? Okay, because you guys, you know, really worked hard and fasted a lot for 45, 55 days. So now it's your, you know, your reward, meat and uh, chicken for 50 days. No. It's the concept is that during the 55 days when we are fasting and struggling, that's our life here on earth. The 40 days, usually number 40, represents the period of struggle, our, represents our life in general. People of Israel were... In, you know, in the wilderness for 40 years, right? Moses uh, fasted for 40 days before he received the Ten Commandments. It's a period of struggle after which something major happens. So our life here on earth is represented by 40 days, right? So we struggled during those 40 days, metanias and, you know, fasting and all this. Now after the resurrection and we are in heaven and we're in the presence of the Lord, no more struggling, no fasting, no, abs- no abstaining from food, no metania, none of these things. Why? Because this is the joy of heaven. Khalas, in heaven there will be no more struggle. Everything the church does, everything in our tradition has a meaning and has a purpose. The problem is we don't understand these meanings, we don't understand this purpose. That's why we end up eating and gaining a lot of weight during those 50 days. Please keep keep this verse in front of you. I will make think all things new and ask yourself, how did God renew me today? What is new about me today? And what is new about my relationship to God today? Do I know Him more today? Is something new in my relationship to Him today or not? And remember also what God said, sing to the Lord a new song. They're going to go together. Every time we are renewed, every time we become more aware of God's power and Love to us, we'll sing to him a new song. And he said to me, write for these words are true and faithful. God has promised from day one that he's going to save us. God has promised that those who persevere will reach heaven. And he has accomplished his promise. And he will do it. Uh, and he says, write. Because it's going to happen. Those in John seeing in the future, but it is going to happen. Verse 6, And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and Omega. This is the same description that the Lord gave to himself in chapter 1. Right? Uh, that's in Revelation 1.8. Again, the Christ is the origin of everything. And it's the same Christ that appeared in Revelation chapter 1 when he had the fiery eyes and he had the, the brass feet 
to crush, you know, and fight at that time. And we said that he appeared this way because, again, uh, in the first vision was here on earth and still the church is struggling. He appeared in a strong way to show us his power and his strength. Now we don't see that vision because it's already over. Again, no more sin. Devil has been uh, thrown into the fire, you know, uh, lake of, you know, fiery lake. No more uh, this sin. So Christ is saying, I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. Uh, he's the source of everything and he's the origin of everything. We ask ourselves, is he the beginning and the end of everything in our life? Or... What is the beginning? What is the purpose that we start things with? What is the the goal of what we try to achieve in our life? Is he the, the beginning and the end? Or something else? Well, my goal in life is to have fun and enjoy and, you know, all these things. To him who thirst, I will give the fountain of the water of life freely. This may answer your question. Uh, yeah. I will give the, water, the fountain of the water of life freely. What is the uh, fountain of water? The Holy, Spirit. the Holy Spirit. I will give him freely. So maybe here on earth it's not given freely because again, we're not to the level that we can understand and appreciate and live with the Holy Spirit and react to what the Holy Spirit is you know, doing in our lives. So, but when we reach that level and again renewed become new on his image we will have an ability to receive the Holy Spirit freely and work with us and make us on his image exactly we always this is the one thing that's in a way it's uh, may sound contradicting but we thirst for the Holy Spirit, but also the Holy Spirit f- fills us. It's not like what we, you know, for example, resemble the, the, the sea. We said that the sea, whoever drinks from the sea, is never nourished and never, you know, is always thirsty. This is a different kind of thirst. This is you're filled, but you want more. You always want more. Not that you try, but you never filled from the beginning. The, if you drink from the water of the word, it will never fill you from the beginning. And the Holy Spirit, you, it's like a balloon and you're filling it with water or you're filling it with air. You give it some air and then you can also add some more air and add some more air and some more air. When the balloon was empty, it was fine. If it has some air, it was filled. Not to the you know, extent, but at least filled a little bit. You can all of a sudden enter the maximum amount of air into the balloon instantaneously. It's going to burst. It has to gradually increase. So that's what we we thirst, we're filled, we're thirst, we're filled, we're thirst, we're filled till we're totally filled. Yes. So what makes like the Pope's Holy Spirit different than like my Holy Spirit? Nothing. No, and forget about the Pope because again when we talk about Sorry. priesthood, when we talk about priesthood there's a different talents or gifts given to them. But yeah, let's talk about for example somebody like you know, Amba Antonius, somebody like Ambabola. Ambabola was not a priest. What's the difference between the Holy Spirit he received and the Holy Spirit you and I received? Nothing. It's how I react and how do I interact with the Holy Spirit that's inside me. Have I, am I willing to give up worldly things so I listen to the Holy Spirit? It's training. 
the Holy Spirit, again, don't forget what St. Paul told Timothy. Uh, work on sort of igniting and, you know, it's like, um, like increase the fire of the Holy Spirit that's in, in you. We have to work through prayers, you know, through meditating on the Bible, through understanding the Bible, through all these things. We have to work to let the Holy Spirit work in us. And I, you know, sometimes I complain, oh, I'm not, my spiritual life is, is boring and, you know, I'm not feeling anything about God because I am lacking, for example, in my fastings, I'm lacking in my prayers, I'm lacking in my, you know, agbeya, I'm lacking in my Bible reading or whatever. The Word is keeping me somewhere so I can't react with the Holy Spirit. God is not going to come and twist me from my arm and say, stand up and pray. He's not going to do that. He wants me to stand up and pray. That's how I'm going to receive from Him. He who overcomes will inherit all things. And I will be His God and He will be my Son. So if we lacking anything here today, guess what? You're going to have everything up in heaven. But really... What are you gonna? What are we gonna have? Are we gonna have cars and you know? Some people look at this verse and think about the millennium reign. Oh, we're gonna have big houses, cars, uh, you know, big trees, land that you know with milk and honey and all these things. Is this what we're gonna have? Look at the answer that's embedded here. And I will be his God. If I have God, do I need anything else? No. And this is this is our journey here on earth is to learn how to have God and with him I need nothing else. What did David the prophet say? With you I need nothing else. And we this is our journey, this is our training that we learn how to say with God, with you I need nothing else. So when we are in heaven we're really gonna be now we're gonna have God right? We are this much and God is infinite. Imagine if this much have all the infinite in the world. you need anything else other than the infinite? Yeah. Uh, yes? It's not. That's a very good point. It's, this, is, this is exactly what we're trying to say. It's not. But here I have the burden and the limitation of sin and of my body, of my weak body. That the te- devil can tempt me with my body. Over there, there will not be the temptations, there will not be the weak body. Right? Uh, as St. John said, we don't know how we're going to look like, but what, however he's going to look like, we're going to look like him. Okay? I'm going to come to that in, in a little bit. Uh, 1 John 3, 2. Let me tell you that. Okay. Behold, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when He shall be revealed, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. We shall be like Him. Whatever body Christ has right now, Christ's body right now does not 
thirst, does not hunger, does not become sick. He's up in heaven. Right? Uh, he can come here on earth with his body at any time. We eat his body on the, the altar every day. It's different than our body that is subjected to sin and is subjected to death, right? We're going to be like him. What is that? How does that look like? We don't know. Even St. John here is saying we don't know. We don't know what we're going to look like, but we're going to look like him. We're going to be like him as he is. That's how we're going to be. Okay? And the, 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 the difference is now... I'm not able to do to enjoy that much. I have to struggle. I have to fight sin. Devil can, you know, excite my, you know, my senses in whatever way. Gets me angry, you know, let me lie or whatever in different ways. And my body, I have to struggle with that body. When heaven, there's not going to be that struggle because the body is going to be a new body. It's going to everything is going to be new. We're not going to have sin. We're not going to be fighting. There will be no sin, no more. You know. No more mourning, none of these things is going to be there, so we're going to be able to live and enjoy God in the fullness. And don't ask me what fullness is, you know, enjoying God to the fullness is, because we're trying to enjoy Him a little bit here, and we're having a hard time doing that. So enjoying Him to the fullness is, that's what we're living for, and that's what we're doing, everything here on earth, so we can do that, and we understand what it is to enjoy Him in the fullness. Right? And he will be my son. The, the status that Adam and Eve were tempted to achieve, which is being like God by knowing good and evil, you know, causing everything, you know, all the problems to happen. Now God is going to make us his children by adoption, of course. He already made us his children by adoption. But he's saying, I'm going to be his God and he will be my son he's going to adopt us he's going to make us his children and lift us to a level that we never thought of before and this was you know as some people say this was God's plan from the beginning but we are as usual in a hurry to achieve our own way and not follow God's way now the problems those who are not going to go to heaven the first group is the fearful before the unbelieving Why do you think the fearful are not going to go to heaven before the unbelieving? The fearful means they're believing people. Huh? Yeah, they believe, but they don't have enough faith. They don't believe in God's power in fighting the devil. That's why they're going to, they may betray and they may deny God on earth. Fear is a very, very, you know, big problem. So is lying, by the way. So is, you know, a lot of other problems. But fear, as we can see, the beginning of the list is fear. So, try to, if you have fear in your life, try to cast it out. Try to pray pray for God that He will wipe that fear away from you so you're not afraid of witnessing to Him and you're not afraid to live the true Christian life that manifests God's love to the people through you. That's the main thing. Right? The unbelieving, those who do not, do not believe in, in God, uh, abominable, these are the also uh, un- unbelievers, murderers, whether physical or spiritual, 
uh, or emotional whoremongers, again, and that's prostitutes and uh, debauchers, those people who are enjoying their sexual sins, and saucers. Wow. So why saucers are, you know, are not going to go to heaven? What's wrong with that? Because they deal with the devil. So, it's interestingly that, you know, all this Harry Potter stuff and all these things are rising up now. Right? And who knows? Idolaters, those worship idols. And again, idols in the New Testament is not just a statue that I come and worship it or whatever. Idols can be anything I put in as a god that is and can give me what I want. Whether it's money, power, you know, sex, anything else that I, you know put there as an idol for me I dedicate my life to worship and I believe that every, all the power are going to come from that God and liars so no white lie and black lie and big lie and small lie and liars period right that's what's coming liars why do you think liars I'm not going to go to heaven how did God describe the devil? He's a, li- a liar and father of every lie. So if I lie, I become whose son immediately? The devil. And of course, the devil's son is not going to go to heaven. Or daughter in that case. Okay. So, lying is big. Fear and lying. Right? Fear is worse than, you know, whoremongers and saucers and, you know, idolaters. Will have their part in the lake burning with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Okay. كما هذا أخي مين لازم يسأل الأسئلة الظريفة دي أبامن أوكي derivative of to be disgusted that is detest abhor أبامن It is. I was wondering, like, why is that stated before? That's a, a very good question. Uh, let me look into that. The, the translation I found for this is, you know, unbeliever. If we look in the Arabic translation, Ragasun, uh, uh, is different than Zuna. Ragasun, like unclean and you know detestable so whatever kind of sin they're living in okay okay now the second part let's let's read it quickly from nine till uh, the end Mina. Mountain and showed me that great city, 
the holy Jerusalem descending, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God and its light was like the stone most precious, even like a jasper stone clear as crystal. And it had a great and high wall with twelve gates, and on the gates were twelve angels, and having names inscribed, which are the names of the twelve tribes of the sons of Israel. From the east, three, three gates, and from the north, three gates. From the south, three gates, and from the west, three gates. And the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and in them were the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And he who talked with me had a golden reed to measure the city and its gates and its walls. And the city lies four square, and its length is as large as the breadth. And he measured the city with the reed twelve thousand stadia. The length and the breadth and the height of it are equal. Of it are equal. And he measured its wall and a hundred and forty-four cubits, according to the measure of a man, that is, of an angel. And the foundation of the wall was jasper, and the city was pure gold like clear glass. And the foundations of the wall of the city had been adorned with, pre with every precious stone. The first foundation, jasper, the second, sapphire, the third, chastity, the fourth, emerald. The fifth, you want me to continue? Yeah, uh, yeah well, let's, let's come back to this later on, because again... Uh, I'm going to try to figure out how we're going to pronounce these in a little bit. Uh, that's what I said. We wanted to go to the Museum of Natural History to figure out what these what stones look like. Uh, right. So we said that the angel, one of the angels that had, you know, the seven vials full of seven last, you know, of the seven last plagues came down, came to me and talked with me saying, come here, I will show you the bride of the lamb's wife, the lamb's wife. The angels have nothing against us. They're executing God's commandment and you know against the, the sinners and the evil people. But they love people. They love repentance. You know those people repent. And so that was also God. I think deliberately did that so Saint John understands the relationship of the angels to us, like the seraphim who stood in the you know at the gate of the Garden of Eden, so he wouldn't let Adam in again. It's not because they hate people. No. Mm. come I'll show you the brides of the lamb's wife again we said in, in the book of revelation the mention of the wife is the first time in the bible that it's mentioned as wife not just as a bride uh, because the union does take place at the end and he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and mountain is this, you know sign of uh, strength and you know being lifted up High mountain is heavenly. Show me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. Coming down from God. Having the glory of God. Wow. It's not just going to be a normal city. It's going to have the glory of God himself. Imagine the wonder of such a city. And its light was like a stone, most precious, even like jasper stone, clear as crystal. If you go back to chapter 4, you're going to find that Jasper, uh, God is described as ja Jasper and Emerald. So that's going to have the same, that's having the same description and same you know characteristics as the Lord Himself. Again, I go back you know to 1 John chapter 3 verse 2. However He's going to be, we're going to be like Him. 
God is going to let us be at the image of His Son, the glorified image that He is in right now. We're going to be at, at that image. That's why He's giving us His attributes. He's giving us the attributes of Jasper. <coughs> so this is a pure, transparent, uh, says for the purity. Uh, again, having the glory of God and its light was like a stone, most precious, even like Jasper stone, clear as crystal. And it had a great high wall and the twelve with twelve gates. And on the gates were twelve angels and having names inscribed, which are the names of the twelve tribes of the Son of Israel. Again, twelve gates, number twelve, as we said earlier, three times four is those people who believe in the Trinity, or those people who believe in God, in all the directions of the world. Uh, these are will enter to heaven. The twelve tribes... Again, the church starts from the Old Testament to the New Testament. We're going to find that the, the names of the 12 tribes on the gates, but the foundation is also the apostles. So those who are righteous in the Old Testament will go in. This does not mean that only the Jews are going to go in. Because if the only the names of the 12 tribes and the Jews are going to go in, this means that even Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are not going to go in because they're not part of the 12 tribes. The 12 tribes came the children of Jacob. So Jacob is not considered as one of the twelve tribes. From the east three gates, the north three gates, the south three gates, and from the west three gates. What does that mean? Number three here can represent one of two things. Either again, the belief in the Trinity. What else does number three represent? Resurrection. Christ resurrected on the third day. So only those who resurrected the first resurrection will go in. So why are the three doors from every direction? All the world will be accepted. Everybody coming in from any direction will come in. Whether from the north, south, east or west will go in and enter. Only criteria is the first resurrection and being resurrected with the Lord, right? And the city lies four square, which means like a square, and the length is as large as the breadth. And here we're going to find that the length and the breadth and the height are all equal. So it's like a cube. The shape of the cube was only, we saw that before in the Old Testament, in the tabernacle, in the Holy of Holies, it, it was on the shape of cube. Which means that God's dimensions are, or God's attributes are all equal. He's just as much as he is loving, as much as he is forgiving, as much as he is everything else. There is no one attribute that is bigger than the others. He is perfect in all his attributes. Um, Twelve foundations are the... Again, I'm sorry, let's go back here. Uh, high, High walls... It means it cannot be penetrated, it's protected and safe. But we're going to see that there's some discrepancy. Again, all this is symbolic. Cannot take this as physical. We're going to see that uh, 12,000 stadia, this is about, the stadia is one-eighth of a mile, 12,000 stadia is about 1,500 miles. So 1,500 miles length, width, 
we can probably understand that. But 1,500 miles in, the, in, in height, what kind of building is 1,500 miles tall? Okay? So that keeps telling us that it's not physical. This is not a physical dimension. This is all spiritual dimensions. So what does the dimension mean? 12,000. 12, again, the faith in God or God's people. 1,000 means the heavenly. Uh, and the measure, and, and he measured its wall, 144 cubits. 144, again, we can say 12 of the Old Testament and 12 of the New Testament, and the wall protects the city. So God protected his people in the Old and the New Testament together. The cubits is like 42 to 48 centimeters. So you do this measurement, it's about 60 to 70 meters high. Do you put a wall to protect the city? The height is 1,500 miles. And you put something like, you know, 200 feet wall to protect it? Again, it doesn't make sense. Right? Again, all this is symbolic and spiritual. It's not physical. According to the measure of a man that is of an angel. Again, some people look at this and say, well, the angels didn't really understand why man is sinning and, you know, why God did all this for men. But in heaven, after everything ends, now they're going to appreciate man and they're going to use the measure of a man even in heavenly, because they're going to appreciate what man went through and God's love to to man. Again, the angels, they're spiritual beings. They don't have arms like us and don't have legs like us or wings and whatever. Okay? They're spiritual beings. And the foundation of its wall was jasper. Again, jasper is... Uh, Jasper is transparent material, material and it's used to describe God in chapter 4. And the city was pure gold, like clear glass. Gold is not transparent, right? An opaque material. Clear glass is transparent. How can it be gold and how can it be transparent at the same time? Again, it's symbolic because gold represents the heavenly. Uh, in the tabernacle, and the Old Testament gold was used to present the heavenly. Mm-hmm. Clear would be like pure, lies. exactly pure. Yeah. No lies, no sin, no imp- no imperfection uh, in people or in heaven. And the foundation of the wall of the city had been adorned with every precious stone. Again, what is the foundation? What's the basic foundation? The belief in, in in the Lord Jesus Christ and the faith delivered to us by the apostles. All right, now let's try to see what these. Let me just open this. Uh, this is going to be the twelve stones.
the jasper sapphire again we can skip them or we can go oops Let's see what these precious stones mean. Again, this is to say they are all symbolic. The first time we heard about precious stones were in the Garden of Eden in Genesis 2.12. And after that we heard about them in the close of the archpriest. The archpriest in the Old Testament used to wear you know, uh, on his uh, chest two pieces. And on each side were six precious stones. They represented the twelve tribes of Israel as remembrance in front of God that, to remember his, you know, his people. Right? So God considers as his own precious stone. So Jasper, it's transparent, represents no blemish and pure love. Sapphire, it's blue, represents the heavenly. Chalcedony, white, uh, again pure and without sin. Emerald, green and we saw the emerald again around the throne of the Lord in chapter 4 continuous life sardonyx is uh, you know precious stone that has the red color represents a royal victory over sin uh, sardius red uh, and those who were saved by the blood of lamb chrysolite uh, pure gold heavenly uh, beryl, uh, again, what I read there, calm, uh, color of a calm lake. Don't ask me what the color of a calm lake is. This is the explanation I found. Uh, can, color, color of a calm lake can depends on the greenery around it, the, you know, the blue sky and, uh, and all this. But again, it's a sign of peace and tranquility. Uh, topaz, it's yellow. It becomes brighter with fire, which means that, you know, we're going to become, you know, the more we are in the presence of God, the more we're going to be purified, the more we're going to shine and glow in the presence of God. Chrysoprasus, that's green, and again, it presents the, the life and continuous life that we're going to be living eternally in heaven. Hyacinth, it's strong material, does not break, sign of eternity, that we're not going to be uh, dying or uh, getting sick. Uh, Amethyst, uh, famous for electromagnetic attraction, which is a sign that we're going to be attracted to the Lord uh, forever. So these are the meaning, or can be can be the meaning of the twelve stones that are used described here in chapter, you know, verses nineteen and twenty. And some people, again, look at this chapter and they try to say that everything is going to happen physically. Again, if this is going to happen physically, how can be physically the height of the city 1,500 miles? That's going to be traveling very long distance up there. Okay. Uh, and I saw no temple in it. For the Lord God Almighty is its temple, even the Lamb. Why there's no temple? Oh, I'm sorry. 
verse 21 and the 12 gates were 12 pearls respectively each of the gate was one pearl sorry 12 pearls each of the gates was one pearl and the street of the city was pure gold and transparent glass 12 pearls the 12 pearls uh, can be the 12 disciples and again uh, each pearl each gate was one pearl what is the pearl if we go back to the new testament what is the parable that has a pearl in it heaven actually uh, that's yeah that heaven or we can say that the most precious pearl is Christ himself so each gate the only way we're going to go through these gates is Christ is the gate right the in John 10 7 and 9 Christ you know describes himself as the gate in which by which the sheep go in so the gate to heaven is Christ there's no other way to go to heaven except through Christ himself okay Again, no temple. Why is no temple? Verse 22. What is the purpose of the temple? More than sacrifice. Worship. To be with God. To be in God's presence. And the whole city is going to be in God's presence. God is going to be in the whole city. That's why there's no need for a temple. Because God is going to be with His people. And His people is going to be with Him. So there's no more need of a specific place of worship. Because that's what's going to be eternity. Uh, and the city had no need for, of the sun nor the moon that they might shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated and its lamp is lamp. Of course, we can take each one of these verses and spend a very long time meditating on them and how can God be. The, the light of your life and how can you don't need any other source of knowledge or any other source of illumination into your life except God himself yeah, but if we do that we're never going to be done and the nations of, the, of those who are saved will walk in the light of it and the kings of the earth will bring their glory and honor into it again the kings of the earth. Who are the kings of the earth? Rulers. 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 What do you think? Believers. The believers. Exactly. Why? Because he made us kings and priests. Right? So we, we're going to rule over ourselves. We're going to rule over our desires, over our you know bodies. So we're the kings of ourselves. And those kings, those saints, right, they're going to be in heaven bringing the, you know, honor, uh, their honor and their glory to heaven. Can you imagine somebody like, you know, Amber Brahm or somebody like, you know, Mary Gilgis or somebody like, you know, Abu Sufayn in heaven? Don't you think that he's going to have his own honor and glory because, you know, he was king over himself, over his desires, over his, you know, wills? and he conquered as a king, now he's going to have his own glory in heaven. You as a king as well, you have the opportunity to be have your own honor and glory in heaven as well. This is whether you as a king want to 
conquer or not. But as a king, you also need to be a priest and offer yourself as a sacrifice, offer, you know, uh, over your praises, you know, as we talked about in the beginning of the book of Revelation. So as you can see, the end and the beginning are tying together. What Christ said in the beginning, now it ties together. So when we started by saying we are priests and kings, now we can see the, you know, the end of the king, where is kings? How come there are no priests? How come we're not saying priests here? Exactly. There's no worship. There's no sacrifices. There's no more sacrifices. As I said, there's no more struggle. Our old life is going to be, you know, continuous worship, but there's no sacrifice being offered in particular. So if you look at the, you know, kings and priests, we are priests here on earth and kings or queens in heaven. Okay. And the nations of those who are saved, okay, we said that one, verse 24, we go to 25, and its gates may not be shut at all by day, for there shall be no night there. Again, why no night? Because God is going to always be there, and there's not going to, there's not going to be separation from God anymore. Christ is always going to be there. God is always going to be. There will be no separation at all. Well, does that mean that Christ is in here at night? On earth. On earth. Okay. Again, don't forget the beginning of the chapter. What did we say? New heaven and new earth. It's a new system. Here we're following into the physical system and the day and night and the earth rotating around the sun and the sun rotating and the whole universe existing. It's it's going to be something different and new. Right? Is that going to be a solar system? I don't know. Again, let's concentrate on the spiritual aspect because we cannot describe the physical. We're not going to be able to describe the physical. So if we try to venture that way, we'll end up to be like all those people who are saying all these nice, fancy stories. But who knows what's, what's real or not. Again, the question is, do you think the martyrs who offered their lives for Christ were thinking about the earthly things before they offered themselves as sacrifices? If they were, they wouldn't go in to sacrifice themselves to begin with. Right? And they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. Again, the glory and honor is the virtues and the, the deeds that we have done here on earth into heaven. And there shall be no way enter into it anything that defiles or any making of abomination or a lie but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Go back and stress, there is no other way into heaven except through Jesus Christ. Anybody tells you there is any other way? The Bible tells us there is only one way to heaven, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how our names get written there, through baptism and receiving the Mayroon, that's how our name are written there, that's how we're going to get into there, that's how we're going to, our job is to keep our names there, it's not to write it there because written there is free, but our job is to keep it there. Okay? Mm-hmm. 
Yes. Uh, it might be easier to look at it here. Blue sapphire. Oh, lake. Yeah, barrel. Uh, I got it from Abuna uh, Antonius Fikri. He's a priest. It's an uh, Arabic. This kind of reminds me, reminds me of because um, I heard the lake. I'm thinking of baptism. I'm wondering if I could make that same analogy too, unless there's like a certain study I should. Yeah, that's that's why I copied them as is. I didn't try to venture and no, you know, you know, uh, I'm using. I'm using three references, four references, basically. Abu Nafadur Si'aoub's book, Abu Antonius Fekri, the Pope, of course, his sermons. You know, he has like 14, 15 sermons about this. And Abu Nadawud Lama's uh, sermons in Arabic. So none of them wrote anything about these precious stones except uh, Abu Antonius Fekri. So I just translated what he wrote in Arabic. Uh, but again, studying... I don't know. <laughs> that's what I wrote. That's what he wrote. So that's I copied that. I didn't know what he's, what he meant by color of calm lake. Uh, maybe, but you know, if that's the case, then we have to look at each one of these, you know, precious stones as either you know one of the sacraments or one of the things that will lead us into. So it becomes more complicated. Uh, studying those. Uh, precious stones in the Revelation and the, the Bible, it can be a separate study, you can have a master's thesis. I'm sure you can, you know, do that in the master's thesis and see what the Father said about these precious stones, what, what they really look like, and how they can do that. And you know, it's 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 a. I'm sure it's not there haphazard. Each one of them has a lot of things that, you know, because we're only used to the fake stuff. We don't understand what they really mean, and we cannot appreciate what it is. So we're just taking them for granted and, you know, skimming through them. But if somebody who really understands precious stones and studies them can have a wonderful study, what do these mean? Yeah. At the beginning of at the beginning of the study, one of the recommendations was we take a trip a field trip to Museum of Natural History and try to look at these stones, each one of them, and try to get descriptions of them. But maybe because it's summer, we can do that now. <laughs> it's different than seeing it yourself and you know seeing the you know brightness and, and all this. So again, heaven, heaven is a wonderful place because of one thing: it's where God lives with His people. You and I have the opportunity to start living that here on earth. We don't have to wait until we die and we go up there. I'm sorry? We can. Uh, heaven is where God is. And if God is in, in within our hearts, this is heaven. We don't know what really heaven, whether it's dimension, it's a place, it's, you know, we don't know what it is. But we know it's a place where there will be no tears, no sin, no struggle, no fights, no anger, no sickness, no sadness, none of these things. 
Uh, and you know, this is God's promise, and He said He promised that, and everything He promised from the beginning is true. Uh, one of the one of things we we did with the high school is we studied the book of you know you know Daniel and the prophecies of Daniel, and we saw how each of these prophecies came true. To know that everything in the Bible is true. Even these things that are very hard to understand, very you know high level for us, you know to perceive, is going to be true. How we don't know. I can't come and tell you this is how heaven is going to look like and this is how everything is going to be like. If I do that, you know, most likely you guys end up laughing at me anyway, because it's can't, it, we can't describe it. We can live it. That's probably a better way to do it. Is we can live heaven, but it's very hard to describe it. Somebody like Saint Paul, who was in the middle, you know, after he's been beaten up, you know, whipped and insulted and thrown into the jail of, you know, in Philippi, and he was standing, you know, sitting down in the middle of the night and praising and, and calming everybody in the jail. So even the crooks and the thieves, when the jail, you know, tore down, they didn't run out. Isn't that person was living heaven here on earth? We need, we need to aspire into that. We need to start struggling to live this kind of life. And God God is generous. And St. James said what? If anyone you know, lacks wisdom, let him ask for the Lord because he gives generously and he is not a... Okay? Gives generously and he does not uh, ask back people what he gave them. Let's, let's try to struggle there and get there. All right. Next week, God's willing, we're going to finish chapter 22, which is very quick. And we'll see what we'll uh, agree on what we're going to start next and how we're going to do that. All right. Please read next chapter. So we can go over it you know, quickly. Right. It's, again, it has a lot of nice things that will uh, comfort us and assure us of what we are doing and what the struggle and the worthiness of the sacrifices and the struggle that you can go here on earth. Okay. Okay. Thanks. Okay.